0: Just a, a few quick announcements. You notice there's a few changes to your bulletin. On the back, there's a section there that sort of gives you opportunity to take some notes as I uh, teach the passage, gives you the heading and the section of Scripture that we're going to be going through. Uh, a lot of people like to write notes. Sometimes God is just impressing something on you as uh, I am speaking or as uh, As things are happening. So here are some uh, thoughts to uh, trigger your um, notes and thinking and sort of guiding you through that. Um, Also, in the announcements, a couple of things. First, this evening at 6 o'clock, for those of you who are interested, we're going to begin a Sunday evening prayer meeting uh, at 6 o'clock each Sunday here in the sanctuary. We'll see how many people show up. Um, We may move out of the sanctuary to the prayer counseling room downstairs, but for those of you who are interested in being part of a prayer meeting, we're just going to experience God through prayer, we're going to be learning about prayer, we're going to be practicing prayer, we're going to be doing prayer in a lot of different ways, and so it's an opportunity for you to enhance your prayer life. Also, a reminder, on the website you can sign up for my daily devotional, email devotional, very easy to sign up on our website, and you can begin to get that. It's already going out, started January 1, but if you would like to begin now, that's, that's great. Um, also, want to let you know that back in the entryway on the bulletin board, there are a couple of sign-ups. One for ushering. Uh, for those of you who routinely and regularly usher, uh, that's where you need to sign up. Pat's been calling week to week, asking people to usher, and I told her, you know what? Most everybody who ushers knows who they are. And so let's just have them sign up in the uh, entryway. So there's a sign up there for you. And for those of you who have not ever ushered, I want you to contemplate, think about becoming an usher. It's a really important ministry. I recall when I first went to Calvary Chapel in Grand Junction, the, the reason I came back after that first Sunday wasn't really the teaching, wasn't really the people. It was one guy. It was one guy named Ernie who was an usher who just connected with me, talked to me, welcomed me, and it made me feel like I wanted to come back. So it's a very, very powerful and important ministry. So if you haven't ushered but would like to be an usher, go ahead and sign up on the uh, sign-up clip back there in the, the entryway, and I will talk to you about that, and we'll, we'll get you going. Also, and finally, as far as announcements, beginning in February, first Saturday of February, February 7th at 8.30 over in Webster Hall, men, we are going to have the first of hopefully many monthly men's breakfasts together. I'm going to cook for you, and for the first Saturday, I'm also going to teach, but I'm hoping that there will be a group of men who rise up, and we have a rotating uh, schedule of speakers for the men's breakfast. Uh, But February 7th, 830, there's also a sign up in the entryway for that as well, uh, because I need to sort of get a sense of how many guys might be coming, need to know if I need to buy a dozen eggs or a few dozen eggs. So that said, we are going to enter into a study of the book of Romans. We had been in the book of Acts, we finished in chapter 21, so there's still several chapters in the books of Acts. That we could have gone into, but as I was praying about it, as I was seeking the Lord, I just felt His prompting that this is a new season, this is a new year, and we needed a new book. And so we're going to go into Romans. Now, Romans is an amazing book. It's unique in all of the Pauline epistles for a few reasons. Um, perhaps most significantly was the fact that Paul had never been to Rome. In fact, This congregation of of believers, Paul had never met. It was probably established by people who had been in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, had heard the preaching of Peter, became believers, and went back to Rome and established a church there. But Paul had never been there. And so most of his epistles, as you read through them, what you see is that Paul is writing to people that he had introduced to faith in Christ. He had a relationship with them. And additional additionally to that, Paul oftentimes was writing in response to a problem in the church. First and Second Corinthians, both of them deal with issues that had arisen in the Corinthian church, and Paul is trying to address those and to rectify them. But that is not the case here with the epistle to the Romans. There's no problem that Paul is trying to correct. There's no relationship that he is... Ad- dealing with he is writing to these people introducing himself now no doubt they knew who he was he was well known at this point but he's introducing himself nonetheless because paul has plans paul intended to go to spain and to evangelize spain and he wanted to use rome as a springboard for that trip additionally paul knew that Rome was sort of the center of the universe at that time. And Paul wanted to utilize the church in Rome, which had a reputation throughout the Roman Empire as being a very strong congregation of believers. Paul mentions that here in the first chapter. He knew that if he could get the doctrine of Christ spreading from Rome, that it would reach the known world. So he had that intention in writing this epistle. And because he wasn't correcting anything or writing to address any relationship, Paul in Romans is really setting out a very clear explanation. As clear an explanation probably as we have in the New Testament of the doctrine of righteousness and salvation. What it means to be righteous before God. What it Truly means to be saved. And from what are we saved? Paul talks about all of that in this book. It's an incredible book and it's had amazing impact through these centuries. Uh, back in the fourth century, Augustine read through Romans and was converted, became a great theologian. Martin Luther, it was in Romans chapter 1, passage that we'll look at next week, where he came across that quote from Habakkuk The just shall live by faith that transformed him and as a result began the Lutheran Reformation, the Protestant Reformation that swept across Europe and we're still experiencing the impact of that today. John Wesley, English preacher, was converted through reading the book of Romans. He had actually grown up in the Anglican Church, Church of England, had left England to go to the Americas to preach to the Indians and he came back from preaching to the Indians and said I've gone to save the Indians but who will save me because he wasn't converted he was in the church he was a preacher going out to save other people but he himself had not been saved but he read through the book of Romans and 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 he writes that as he went through Romans and he read the words of the apostle Paul the Holy Spirit came over him and a warmness swept through him, and he realized that he was then converted. So a lot of major stuff. Of course, we know from that came the Wesleyan revival. A lot of impact from the book of Romans. So I'm going to ask you as we begin this study in the book of Romans to open yourself up to the possibility that you too might be impacted. Just as Luther was, and Wesley was, and Augustine was. Yes, you too, here sitting in the pew a community church in Gunnison, Colorado, might be impacted by these words. They're transforming words. In in chapter 12 of, of the book of Romans, Paul writes, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So a basic outline of the book of Romans, first eight chapters deal with the issue of righteousness. It's a doctrinal treatise on the issue of righteousness. And it breaks out in a lot of different ways, but it's talking about righteousness, right standing with God. How do we obtain a proper relationship with the God of the universe? What is our condition before Him and how do we enter into a relationship with Him that allows His justice and His character and His holiness to be satisfied with a race of beings that are totally fallen and depraved. Chapters 9 through 11 deal with dispensation, the re- reality that God deals with man in different ways at different times. And specifically in chapters 9 through 11, the issue of the nation of Israel and the Jews. God has dealt with the Jews in a certain way under the law for a period of time. What is his relationship with the Jews now that Jesus Christ has come? And salvation is by grace through faith, which of course it always was, but the Jews didn't recognize that. And then the last few chapters, chapters 12 through 15, are an exposition on when we are in right standing with God, What does our life look like? How should we live? What kind of exercise of faith should we have as beings who are in right relationship with God? So it's going to be a fun study. We're going to take as long as it takes. Because there's a lot of meat in here. You're going to come across a lot of theological terms. Justification, propitiation, salvation, dispensation, I'll try to break those down for you, simplify them, make them meaningful to you, because they are meaningful terms. But let's just begin. We're going to go through the first 15 verses. And and I've titled today's message out of verse 7, Grace to You and Peace. Because even though that's just Paul's greeting to the Romans, Paul's just saying his typical greeting, grace and peace. Grace, the the Greek word charis, and peace, the Hebrew word shalom. That's how he always greeted in his epistles. I think it's significant because as we study this book of Romans, I want you to recognize that it is the grace of God, the free gift of God that he has given to each one of us that affords us the peace of God that passes all understanding. So grace to you and peace. I pray that you find God's grace as we study these words and that you experience God's peace as so many have. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. The word servant there is doulos in the Greek, and it's literally a servant who has placed himself in servitude to someone willingly and absolutely. They have put themselves in a position of servitude because they love their master. In Exodus chapter 21, if you read through that, you'll see that Under Hebrew law, if a Hebrew person had to go into servitude for someone, it could only be for a period of six years. In the seventh year, they had to be released. But if they particularly loved their master, they could agree to serve him for the remainder of their life, and they would have an all pierce their ear, and they would put a ring in it, and it would be a signal that they loved their master and they were in servitude to him for the remainder of their life. That's what Paul is talking about here. He is a doulos, a servant of Jesus Christ. He has willingly placed himself in that position in absolute uh, service to, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he has been called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Now it's important that Paul says here that he's called to be an apostle because again he has not met the Romans, he has not spoken to them, they have not seen him face to face. Now there were 12 apostles. Judas fell. Matthew was placed in, but truly the person who filled Judas's position was Paul. He was the one that God called. Matthew was taken by Lot, but it was truly Paul who was called to be an apostle and filled that role in the 12. And so he's telling the, the, the Romans, I am called to be an apostle. I am a sent one, one who is going forth with a message. And I've been set apart for the apostle of the, the gospel of God. Ma- or excuse me, Acts chapter thirteen, we, we read where there in Antioch, uh, Paul at that time, Saul and and uh, Barnabas were set apart to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the S- holy scriptures regarding his Son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead. So the gospel has always been there. From the very beginning, we've talked about that as we went through Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. How from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the seed of the woman, that the gospel was set forth. But all the way through the Old Testament, if you do a careful study of it, what you'll find is that the gospel is there. The son mentioned in Psalm 2 that is supposed to be kissed by the nations lest his anger descend upon them. Was it? Genesis chapter 22, I think, where Abraham set out to sacrifice Isaac as a type of the father sending his son Jesus in sacrifice. Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant his, who became sin for us. All through the Old Testament, the Holy Scriptures and the prophets, the gospel was promised. And we saw that Jesus was a man. He also was God. Um, and as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David. You remember there in 2 Samuel chapter 7, how David wanted to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord said, no, you're not going to build a house for me, David. I'm going to build a house for you. And he promised that, that a descendant of David would rule over Israel as an everlasting king. And that, of course, was a promise of Jesus Christ. And the spirit of holiness who declared Jesus the Son of God through the resurrection. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus became the Son of God at his resurrection, but what it means is that his resurrection proved that he was already the Son of God. It's just as gold being put through the fire doesn't become gold as it goes through the fire. It going through the fire proves that it was gold all along. And so Jesus, through the resurrection, was declared or appointed or determined the Son of God. Through him, that is through Jesus Christ, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So there is a decision, there is a response. As I mentioned when I was talking about the king's kids, there is an obedience that has to be uh, determined when it comes to confronting the gospel. You know, you, you, you have a decision to make as a human being whether or not you are going to believe the gospel. It can be preached to you. It can be presented to you. It can be laid out for you in the words of scripture, but it remains an act of obedience for you to determine, yes, I believe and I am going to obey the gospel. Sometimes we get tripped up on that when we think of obedience because we sometimes connect it to the law and and that sort of notion that we do something that causes us to be saved, and that's not true. What this is talking about when it says the obedience that comes from faith is that response to the gospel. James said in his epistle that we are not to be hearers of the word only, but we are also to be doers of the word. Faith without works, James says, is dead, being by itself. You have faith, James said, and you tell me that, so be it. I will show you my faith by my works, James said. And so that is what we're we're reading about here, the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. You have a response to the gospel that you have to make in faith. There's action that follows a true conversion. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So there's a sense of calling all throughout this passage. Paul called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, receiving grace and apostleship to to call all the Gentiles. And the Gentiles here being called to belong to Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this morning, I want you to stop and think about God's call on your life. And what is that? Because I believe that God calls us to salvation, to be set apart for His purpose. And He also has a very specific plan for each one of us. I'm looking at a a number of faces here, and I believe as each face looks back at me, you look at a person who has received a call from God. But I'm looking at people who have received a call from God as well. Maybe it's a call to usher. Maybe it's a call to serve in the community. Maybe it's a call to something else, to be an at-home mom in your family. I don't know, but there is a call upon your life that God has given to you. And perhaps you've not heard that call yet. Perhaps you haven't been listening. But there is a call that God has for you. We aren't just saved to sit in a pew. We're saved to action, as I said, to obedience to the faith. And We have to take action. We have to step out. We have to hear that call and say, Yes, Lord, here am I. Send me. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, and called to be His holy people. Again, the issue of calling. That setting apart. Holy people actually in, in the Greek is the word hagios. It, it's what's typically translated saint. So how many of you here this morning would raise your hand and say, I'm a saint? Amen. All right. You know, the Catholics like to declare saints. They'll have to go through a process and be evaluated to determine whether or not they're a saint. And the fact is, a saint is simply one who is set apart for the call of God. They are holy. That's what holiness means. It means being set apart, distinct from that which is common. And each one of us here this morning who believes in Jesus Christ has been set apart wholly to God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Now, Paul here is letting the Romans know that he knows about them. He's heard about them. Remember, he's introducing himself to them because he has a purpose in coming there. And he wants them to recognize him. But he's saying to them, your faith is being reported all over the world. What is happening there in Rome is well known. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. Now, Paul wrote the epistle of Romans from the city of Corinth, which was in Greece. Corinth was a notoriously uh, libertine city, very, very evil licentious place. And so Paul is writing there from Corinth, and he's not coming to Rome, though. As he's writing from Corinth, his intention is to go back to Jerusalem, because you'll remember he's been receiving a collection from the the Gentile churches to take back to Jerusalem, to the saints there who were suffering in poverty. So he's going to go back to Jerusalem. So He's not directly headed to Rome, but his intention is eventually to get to Rome. And that's why he's talking to them that in his prayers at all times, he prays both for them, but also that at last by God's will, the way may be open for him to come to them. Now, I find that fascinating because if you turn to Romans chapter 15, Paul is concluding the the epistle and he's concluding with some prayer requests from the Romans. Let's see, where do we want to start? We'll start here in verse 23 of Romans chapter 15. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. As I mentioned, he had an intention to use Rome as a platform to evangelize Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. After I have enjoyed your company for a while, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Now, here's the part I want you to focus in on. Verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Here's his prayer request specifically. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. So that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, for those of you who have read through the book of Acts, you know that none of those prayer requests were fulfilled, at least in the way that Paul had anticipated for them to be fulfilled. He wanted to go to Jerusalem and have the offering from the Gentiles to be received. But if you'll read through Acts, what you'll find is the very, there's very little comment on Paul's offering that he brings to the the Jerusalem church. The first thing is James said, there's a bunch of Jews here who have been saved, but they keep the law and they say, you don't keep the law. And they got distracted on this whole issue of whether or not Paul kept the law. So Paul went into the temple with some some other believers who were keeping a vow. He shaved his head and in the temple, he got accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple. And that started Paul's road to Rome as a prisoner. So Paul's prayer request that, the offering be received didn't really happen the way Paul intended for it to. And the fact that he ultimately made it to Rome, but he he came as a prisoner rather than as a free man. So as you look at this, you, you may ask yourself, okay, was the Roman church not praying with Paul? Was Paul confused about God's will, what it would look like? If anybody knew what God's will was, you would think Paul would be aware of that the reason i'm bringing this up to you and making a point of it is paul here back in verse or chapter one uh, is talking about how frequently he prays how fervent his prayer is for the romans and how he desires to come to the romans by god's will but it happens in a way that he did not anticipate and really in a way that probably most of us would look at and say bummer paul And I say that because we need to understand that so often when things happen to us that are difficult, confusing, challenging, we think, oh my gosh, I'm out of God's will. What have I done? God, why aren't you blessing me? Why is this happening to me? When in fact, you may be precisely in the center of God's will for your life. God intended for Paul to go to Rome. But he intended for him to go as a prisoner. As Paul was heading for Jerusalem, Agabus the prophet prophesied that Paul was going to be a prisoner. Paul understood that. And Paul went to Jerusalem nonetheless. So understand that as you engage in prayer, as you commit yourself to, to a life of constant prayer, there are going to be difficult times, there are going to be challenges that you're going to go through. It doesn't mean that you need to stop praying or that you're out of God's will, it could be and probably is that you're right in the center of it. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Reminds me of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. But all the more as you see the day drawing near, join yourselves together and spur one another on to love and to good works. Paul says we will come together and we'll be encouraged by each other's faith. That's why Sunday morning is so important. And that's why I'm trying to uh, encourage and build up over the next few months the life groups that we have going in our church. Because it is a place for us to come together to encourage one another, to be strengthened into faith. And that is what Paul understood here. He was going to come to Rome and to impart some spiritual gift, but he was also going to be encouraged by their faith and strengthened by their gift. We need to come together regularly, church. It's not something we do just by rote, just by habit. It's something that's essential. It's life. God has called it to be so. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had also among other Gentiles. Paul doesn't say what prevented him from doing so, but I know he told the Thessalonians that Satan hindered him from doing many things that he wanted to do. Again, sort of an astounding thought. The great apostle Paul hindered by Satan from doing some of the things he wanted to do. But understand, we do have an enemy. We do have spiritual wickedness in heavenly places that oppose us in our work of promoting the gospel and preaching it. And so Paul was prevented from coming to Rome, but he hopes to come to them now, and as we know, he, he will come as a prisoner. I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to wise and to foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Paul understood that that the gospel was the power of God unto salvation. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. We'll talk about that next week. But Paul also understood that even though he was a a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, someone who, who knew the word, and he could have very easily elevated himself and put himself in a position of prominence, but he didn't do so. He put himself as a doulos, a servant absolutely in uh, submission to his master's will. And his master's will was to preach the gospel to all men. For God so loved the world that whomsoever might believe on him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. None of us have the position of prominence such that we can say, we don't owe a debt to our fellow man to preach the Gospel to them. To share with them what God has done in our lives. To give them the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. You know that song we sang this morning, the Praise Team, We Believe, it talks about the days being dark and I believe that's true. As we look around the world today, much darkness, difficult times. But it's in the times when The darkness is most profound at its deepest that just one candlelight can begin to illuminate a room. Just like we did on Christmas Eve. We begin to share one to another within our community, within our families. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ, Greek, non-Greek, barbarian, non-barbarian, relation, non-relationship, high economy, low economy, it doesn't matter. Male, female. God has brought you into a circle of influence for a time such as this. Each one of us has a message to share and God has called you, has given a purpose for you as a saint, as a set-apart one to serve and to be a blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this epistle of Romans. We thank you for the calling that each one of us has received. We're not all apostles, but we all have a ministry that we can be active in and intentional with. And My prayer for each and every person here this morning, Lord, is that they hear that call from you. Perhaps for some, it's a call to salvation, to obedience to the faith here this morning. To others, they have been sensing your spirit speaking to them. And they know that there is a duty that they have to fulfill. Show them, Lord, what that is. And yet for others, this notion of calling is new to them. I begin, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to speak to them and to open their hearts and to communicate to them that you qualify the called. You don't call the qualified. Bless this congregation, Lord, as we go out in this year, 2015. Without your Holy Spirit working in us and through us, we can do nothing. It's not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. And so as we sing this hymn, Lord, I just pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon each person here this morning, that they might leave this place and go forth in the power of the Spirit and in the freshness and the newness of the calling of God upon their life for 2015. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing hymn 393, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. So if you'd please stand. Amen. Let's join in a circle here. If you paid close attention to your bulletin, you'll see that within the service order, I have purposed to reflect that all we do on Sunday morning, whether it's in the Word, whether it's in song, whether it's in remembrance, whether it's in stewardship, it's worship. Everything we do on Sunday morning is in worship. This is a time of worship here also. And I've called it a, t- a time of worship and testimony, where we worship God through prayer requests or through testimony of the great things God has done or is going to do. And so, this, I want you to recognize, is very much a time of worship for us. And I'm going to call upon Lori Summers, who's visiting with us today along with her family, to, to begin. Thank you. Others? Yes? (laughs)
1: Ha <laughs> ha
0: <laughs> I love God things. Virginia. Chris. I have an announcement, um, I would appreciate some help
2: moving the chairs that are at the entryway back over to Webster Hall. So anybody wanted, Even if you can just get them down to the ground, because the elevator is not working,
0: that helps. So. so Some strong men and women, that would be good. Ellie. Dan. Um, my brother Paul here on Wednesday is having some back surgery. Like and yes, and I was talking to Ruthie, and, and Carl has surgery coming up this week also um, on his wrist, and I think he also had a shoulder problem, correct? Yes. Yeah. And he was going to murder, get a shot stopped <laughs> So Paul and Carl both could use some prayer this week as they head into surgery. Yep. I one more thing. Crock pots are downstairs. Um, oh, Christmas, thank you, so. Chris. Yeah, quite a few of them. So Yeah. So please yep. grab crock pots to be picked up. Yes.